Well, as uh, I said last week, last week we did something unusual. We, it was really fun uh, for me because instead of asking for any money from you, we actually gave you a bunch of money. If you had money under your seat last week, like just raise your hand. I'm just curious. And I'm look, looking for who didn't report yet. So yeah, all right. Appreciate you guys. It was uh, really awesome. We had this assignment. We gave out money just randomly under people's chairs. And uh, we talked about last week that, about this concept that everything that we have, that we are not owners, that we are stewards of what we have. That uh, everything that we have, it comes from God. We can't take any of it with us. And uh, that we can only manage it while we are alive. That ultimately God actually does own it all, and that we are nothing more than stewards of what he has given us. We learn from the Apostle Paul some really good news, and that is that God provides us what he provides us with. He actually provides it for our enjoyment, but he, as he provides it all for our enjoyment, it isn't all for us, uh, and that, you know, we tend to make that mistake of thinking that it is. And God's intent is that while we are enjoying part of it, part of it is also to share with others. And that through us, that God might provide for them, maybe individuals that he hasn't entrusted with as much, or people that are struggling or in need, uh, so that they can enjoy it as well. And last week, because one of our core values is irrational generosity, like I said, we did something kind of irrational. Instead of having you give us money, we gave you money as a fun and tangible exercise, but it really wasn't flippant. I mean, this was a small way to basically use you to actually get out in the community and for us as a church to bless other people. Because as we said in the assignment, uh, this was our money. It's new life. It's not yours if you got it. And you were to use it to do something kind for someone else and then report back. And uh, this week, I got several reports. They were all awesome. Uh, we had one couple that uh, there was a family where the husband just got back from deployment, and they blessed that family with a gift card. Uh, there was another family. They went out to eat, and they way over-tipped the waiter and gave them an encouraging note. Uh, Zan and his wife, they were actually on their honeymoon uh, not long ago in Bali, and they connected with a, a young guy that had just kind of this small surfing business, and, they, uh, and, and so they got to know him. And then, of course, over COVID, travel got decimated, and so they decided to actually send some money to him and his young wife and their little girl to help them out. Uh, there's one of our folks, he's part of a group, and had shared there was a co-worker that has just had struggle after struggle, got a cancer diagnosis this last year, and they took that money that they got here, actually, and then this individual at Spirit ended up helping raise another $400 for this employee. So uh, we had another family, they took this opportunity to help teach their kids a lesson, had them help pick out some, some stuff for a newborn, and went to embrace uh, the pregnancy center here in Wichita, and uses a great teaching opportunity for the kids. It's just all great things. I did want to share this one. I'm going to, I'll share all these on social media, but uh, I got a letter, an email from, there's actually a young family here last week. They were here from Louisiana, and there's a whole story. He's a former Marine, and he's actually, uh, because of the experience, he's on disability right now, but they're able to get around, and they actually sold their home and everything, and they're living in an RV, uh, which honestly I would love to do, but my wife will not go for it. So, uh, But they are traveling across the country, and they Googled, and they found new life. So they came last weekend. They got money, and they were headed to Missouri, southwest Missouri. I suggested uh, Roaring River State Park, where when we were, our kids were growing up, we camped a lot. So they actually went there, and then I got this, this email from them and said, uh, we, we got to our spot, 
And the couple next to us, they came out and greeted us. And within the first 30 minutes, the lady told me several times about how much she missed her children and her grandchildren. And right then, I knew they were the ones that God wanted us to bless. But I just didn't know exactly how to do it. So I prayed and I prayed. I felt God leading me cook for them. Uh, which I was thrilled. I used to run my own catering business, so I was like on a kid, like a kid on Christmas. So I, 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 we went shopping. We got the food that we needed. I couldn't wait, and so we invited them to join us for breakfast the next morning. They were a little hesitant to accept my invitation because they didn't want to intrude, but after assuring them that I bought enough specifically for them to eat with us, they accepted. We had the best time with them. I even wore my Jesus Will Be There for you shirt. We can all use that subtle reminder from time to time. I can't even tell you how many times they thanked me for cooking for them and how it was so nice being able to spend time with my family. They were both smiling from ear to ear without a single sign of depression in sight. And then as we were leaving the next morning, they came over to say goodbye and thank us for our kindness. And then they proceeded to give us the money to fund the rest of our journey back home to Louisiana and then some. (laughs) It took everything I had to hold it together. It just goes to show that kindness is contagious and that God is good. I want to thank New Life Wichita for opening up the opportunity to allow the Lord to use my family and me. We have been rewarded far beyond anything we deserve. I just thought that, that was really awesome. I want to go camping with them. So uh, this, this last week, uh, uh, I'll share again, I'll, through this week, I'll share some of the other stories. They're all, all great. Uh, but last week was really about the what. It was really about the what we're to do with our wealth, meaning everything that we have, our, our money, everything that's been entrusted to us, our jobs, our stuff, our education, our houses, our cars, our bikes, our Nintendo, whatever it is, that everything that we have is part of what God has entrusted to us. And today we're going to look to Jesus about the why. Why? Why should we be stewards? Now Jesus was continually telling stories to teach us things uh, about what God was like, about what heaven's like, life is like, how we should live. And of all the parables that we have of Jesus, about a third of them are on the topic of money. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, a, third of, a third of them are on the topic of money. And the reason that Jesus talks so much about money is because uh, God doesn't just want our money. He wants so much more than that. Jesus talks so much more about it, so much about it because money dominates our thoughts in our life. In fact, a recent study showed that Americans think about money and work more than sex. And I use that as a line in an email that I sent out yesterday. I did have someone challenge me in a reply on that. Uh, you know, but the, the interesting dynamic is, and I, I promise I'll keep this PG, but uh, sex is a major stress relief. And just besides sex drive and attraction, uh, one element that becomes a motivator in this area, and for individuals, one of the key reasons that individuals get drawn into porn and even into addiction to porn is because it's an escape from the reality and stress and anxiety that is usually tied to our jobs and money and financial stress. So it is interesting how everything's connected. Another study showed out of everything else that we think about, we tend to think about money more than any other thing in life, because we think about how we're going to acquire money, we think about the future and our jobs and pay raises, how to acquire more money, how to loan money, sometimes how to invest money or borrow money or count money, how to save money, sometimes how to give money away. But today, we're going to learn from Jesus that if we truly want to, want to be truly rich, then we've got to adopt God's perspective on money. So Jesus tells this story, it's found in Luke chapter 16. 
It begins at verse 1. Jesus said, Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So the theme of this parable is about money. Now, if you read the Bible, most of you read the NIV version, the New International Version. I'm a big fan. I usually do as well. But for some reason, the NIV lives out, leaves out this conjunction. He also, he also said to his disciples. And this is important because Luke 16 is tied to Luke 15. And Luke 15 begins with the parable of the lost coin and then the parable about a man who had a hundred sheep and then he lost one and going to find it. Then there's a story about a father who had two sons and one was lost and lost son, lost son went off to another land and he squandered all his money that was actually his father's money. He spent it all however he wanted entirely on his pleasure and of course it ended poorly. So, so Jesus is contrasting the story that he just told uh, in Luke 15. So he's telling this story. There's an owner. It's a rich man. He's got a manager. He's accused, accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give it an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. I'm firing you. You're, you're out. You're done. I'm tired of this. Get everything in order because you are done. Now, some of us have gone through the unfortunate experience of being fired in our lives. And for some of us, the truth is, it really was partially or entirely our fault. And as painful as it is or was, you knew deep down you, you could have done better. Or you could have handled your job better. Uh, you could have handled your role better. You didn't handle as well as you sh should have. And it totally stinks, but so most of us can relate. And so this, this guy, he's fallen short in his position. So, like us, he asked, the manager said to himself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? And many of us have been there. My master, he's taking away my job, and I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. And then an idea hits him. He says, I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He thinks, I've got this one opportunity, and my time is limited. And then he executes his strategy. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one. How much do you owe? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Now, you can imagine how awesome this would be, right? I mean, a 50% discount if the guy can go ahead and pay the whole tab now. I mean, imagine American Express or Visa or MasterCard calling you and uh, whatever you've got on your credit card or you've got on your car loan or maybe with your mortgage company, and they call you and say, hey, you owe X amount of dollars. If you can pay half of that now, we'll call it good. Debt taken care of. We'll call it even. It'd be like, absolutely. Like, I, I will figure out how to get a hold of it. I can do 450 now, absolutely. The manager says, good. Then he asks the second one, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Not as good of a deal, but he gives them 20%. He replies, take him, take your bill, sit down, make it 800. Now, we don't know if this guy is cheating his master or if basically he was just taking off his cut, what his percentage cut would have been. We, we don't know his commission. Maybe it was Jesus was just using an example of something bad that someone did to make a powerful point. But whether he was cheating his boss or just giving, sacrificing his cut, we don't really know. But then what happens next is the key moment. Jesus says, the master commended the dishonest manager. It's like, what? Like, why would Jesus do that? Why? Well, because he acted shrewdly. Now, we don't 
again, know if he's referring to him being dishonest before, which is why he is being fired, or how he handled this debt uh, that these people owed his master. We don't know exactly, but Jesus' big idea is clear, that the owner in Jesus' parables always represents the God figure, and the God figure was praising this man. But why? Well, because the man acted shrewdly. He acted smartly. He acted wisely. And like we talked about last week, this man was a steward of a certain amount of resource with a certain amount of time, and Jesus celebrates how shrewd he was and the way he stewarded it. And then now Jesus is going to use this guy to instruct us. Some of us are old enough to remember the 90s, and there was the WWJD bracelets, the, the What Would Jesus Do bracelets. Well, Jesus says in this case it's WWDMD. What would the dishonest manager do, okay? You've been given a certain amount of stuff, a certain amount of time, certain relationships, certain opportunity, a job, money, cars, bicycles, everything under your care. He's saying, yes, spend some of it on you, on things that you really need, and then on things that you just simply want and just enjoy. And give some to the purposes, to the purpose of others finding out about Jesus. Give some to help the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, the most vulnerable, and give it generously and graciously. Set up college funds, like the ant that we learned from the Proverbs who stores up for winter. Go ahead and set some money into retirement accounts as you can. Get disability and life insurance. Uh, track your money well. Save money. Learn how to negotiate a deal. Haggle. Read the fine print. Shop for a bargain. Use coupons. Jesus would, would say, hey, listen, be a shrewd steward of what God has put and entrusted in, into your hands. And remember last week we got this definition of steward. Stewardship. It's using God-given money and resources for God-given goals and objectives. So learn what his objectives and goals are, and goals are, and then let that inform you. Let that inform you on how you steward what's been given to you. Because Jesus said, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. Jesus compares those who are following him with those that are, aren't, and he's saying, listen, you, you can learn from them. And, and here's how and why. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels and sounds a little manipulative. It just does to me. But what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to help us get what we have can give us influence with other people. That what we have should be used in a way that buys us influence with others, not for selfish gain and not to manipulate them, but to earn a voice into their life for their benefit. I mean, we've all experienced how amazing no-strings generosity can be, right? I mean, one of my most powerful memories, even after three decades, it still causes me to be emotional. Uh, as a young couple, we'd been married for a few months, and my wife and I, we were just broke as a joke, okay? And there was this older couple that now, as I think about it, we're that older couple now, but uh, they just took a liking to us. And one day, the husband shook my hand, and when he pulled his hand back, there was a $100 bill that he left in my hand. And especially in 1990, that was a lot of money. Okay, and at first I was like, I, I, can't, I can't accept this. He goes, oh, you will. He's like, because we remember what it was like to be a young couple just starting out, and we want to bless you. And we just couldn't believe it. And then, like, right after, like, we went grocery shopping, like, real grocery, like, 
turn away from the ramen noodles, get real craft macaroni and cheese instead of hot dogs. We got, we got ground chuck, which at that time in 1990 was like 89 cents a pound. It was a glorious thing. Okay, we got like real food. And so what do you think happened? Well, the door into our lives really began to open up to this couple, and we began to pay more attention to them. And not only did we notice that generosity was one of their many wonderful qualities, but we watched how they loved one another and how they loved others, and we paid more attention to this. They gained influence with us. And just generosity is just one of the easiest ways to make a friend. I mean, you buy somebody lunch or buy them dinner, they pay more attention to you. You give somebody a ride. And, and suddenly they're more likely to listen to what you have to say. You, you help them move. You know, you loan them your truck. You surprise them with a financial gift or a gift card. And Jesus is saying, like, this is the most excellent way. Like, this is the best way. Use what you have now for the sake of influence later. Use worldly wealth to gain friends. Because on a day and time in the future that you may not know of, they may decide they're really going to open the door of their life to you. And either due to major financial loss or death, the day will come that you will no longer have any control over a single dime of your money and wealth. You just won't. It's temporary. So use what you have right now while you can, while you have some control, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In other words, use what you have temporarily now for the sake of eternal influence later. So there will be people in the next life that will be grateful for you, that the way you used what you used and had in this life. I mean, there's a correlation between how you use your money now and the next life. That's part of Jesus' point, that you want people there that will go, thank you. Like, my life was changed, and I'm here because of the way you used your wealth on earth. Again, some of you, like in the 90s, it was like the Ray, Ray Bolt song, like, thank you for giving to the Lord. So it's just like, that's, it's like this whole message. It's like, because of what you did with your worldly wealth, I'm here. What you invested. You know, you, because you invested in the local church, it reached and it served my family, or it reached and served my friends, or you use some of your worldly wealth to help fund a work, an organization that somehow connected with my son, and it just changed the trajectory of his life, or it just literally saved my daughter. Or because you were so irrationally generous with me, you didn't know this, but I began to pay more attention to you, and, the, and I was willing to consider who and what you followed, and I decided I wanted that for myself as well, and to do the same, and now I'm here. I can't thank you enough. Jesus is saying right now you have authority and control over your earthly wealth, but at some point all of that goes away. So learn from the dishonest money manager who realized this huge life-altering principle. I have a certain amount of time and a certain amount of resource, and I must, I must make the most of both to make a lasting difference, which means that we must never assume that it's all for us that we should be generous. So Jesus is not saying money is evil because money is not evil. It's simply about how we use it. As we quoted the Apostle Paul, God again has provided everything for our enjoyment and because he loves us. So this isn't about feeling guilty. It's just about feeling responsible to enjoy it while using part of it also for things that really matter, that transcend this life. Because ultimately, wealth is a wonderful tool, but it's a horrible God. 
And too often, the gravitational pull for all of us, the gravitational pull is to channel an overwhelming or inappropriate amount of attention and affection to the accumulation of wealth for myself. But what's true of us all is wealth will fail us. I mean, all of us have seen people who have been failed by wealth. They leaned their ladder against the wall of wealth only to reach the top, and many to discover too late in life that they leaned their ladder against the wrong thing. It's a tool, but it's also a test. In the next verse, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will be also will also be dishonest with much. And you and I, we've all seen this in our life. I mean, think of the people that you really trust. It began with them proving themselves, tr- themselves trustworthy in the little things, right? I mean, they proved themselves trustworthy in the little things, and over time, you began to trust them with bigger and bigger things. Many of us have people in our life that we, we just trust them entirely, and we would trust them with our lives because of their track record with the small things. But if someone has lied to you, if they've lied to you about a little thing, or if there's something intuitively in you, just like, I just don't think this person is completely honest, well, there's no way you're going to trust them with something big. So Jesus says, so if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, well, who will trust you with real riches, true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, well, then who will give you property of your own? And again, he's saying there are eternal implications for how we steward and how he chooses to steward our resources now in this life. And then he makes this huge statement. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God, and of everything else he could have put in, fill in the blank, God and, he chooses God and money. Now, again, just a moment of transparency. I, I intimately know the temptation to love money and wealth. I do. In fact, I remember when I first decided to go into full-time ministry, I had gone to Bible college, and again, broke as a joke. Uh, we went back to stay with some of our best friends in San Diego when we went to see family. And this particular friend and, and his wife, uh, the truth, they were, they were really well off. And we were staying in their condo in San Diego and everything, and I remember laying there in bed one night. It just, it just kind of hit me. If I go down this route, I am never going to live in a place like this. It's just not going to happen. And I had that moment. Like, am I, am I ready? Like, if I, it, it, is this a big enough deal? And obviously, I made my decision. But I get this. The, you know, this, this, this tendency to love money and love wealth. And again, this is especially true for those of us who have experienced a season or more of our life where we have maybe had little. We may have had nothing. We have people that are part of our community at one point that were homeless. Okay, so I get this. We get this. We know what it feels like. Uh, I know well the temptation to love money and love wealth so much that it just grabs your heart. And that's why God doesn't just want your money. He wants way more than that. He wants your heart. And he knows that your heart is tied to your money. And Jesus says you can't love money and love and worship God because though money is nothing more than a tool, the temptation for all of us is to make it the object of, of our affection. And far too often, there's a subtle thing where we actually begin to worship God because of the money. 
where it's like in our prayers, like, God, thank you. Thank you for the ways you've blessed me and taken care of me, the things that you've provided for me and given me. And, And this is a good thing to do. But part of what Jesus is trying to do is help us remember we don't worship God because of the money. We worship God with our money in such a way that we help other people experience the same grace, the same love, the same forgiveness that we've experienced. And I remember all those years ago that that older man that gave us that $100 bill uh, when we were young, he once said to me, Chad, you can never outgive God. And, And the amazing thing in my experience and what so many others have experienced is that the more generous you are, it seems like the more God blesses you with. I remember a friend of my father's that, like, he was a multimillionaire, and he was just constantly giving money away, and he couldn't give it away fast enough. And he saw this prove true in his life. And I've just seen it in my own life, because when you prove faithful with a little, God seems to entrust you with more. So in our remaining time, I just want to help you how to actually apply all this. Uh, years ago, there were back-to-back weekends where two men that I deeply respect, Andy Stanley and Dave Ramsey, they both preached messages on money at the church that I was on staff at up in, up in Chicago. And it had a huge impact on me and on our marriage and how we approached our finances. And in his message, Andy posed this question, do you believe that there's life after this life? Do you really believe that? Most people do, but do you? And this question was just this sincere but massive question. And the reason why this question matters so much is, let's say you don't. Well, let's just assume that it's just this life and that's it. And that when you die, it's just like a candle, poof, it goes out and smoke that just dissipates and it's just nothing. If that's true, then honestly, you're wasting your time being in this big humid box this morning. You should have slept in, should have stayed home. You're wasting your time. We shouldn't even be doing this. I mean, the Apostle Paul says in one of his letters, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Honestly, you should just spend every penny, every dime on yourself. Because if there is no God and there's no more to life than this life, then generosity is just simply this made-up social construct that man and womankind manufactured. But honestly, it's a myth. But most of us here believe there is more to this life than this life. Most of us, we believe it because hundreds of witnesses were adamant that Jesus did, in fact, predict and pull off his own death and resurrection. So it makes sense that we should take our cues from him. And Jesus is saying how you manage and steward your money, how you spend everything, your time, your opportunities, your resources, every single dime, it matters deeply. And and God desires for you to use it, to spend it, to invest it in a way that brings joy to you and to others. And that weekend, Dave talked about this huge, wise, valuable approach to managing and stewarding money. Uh, He gave it in this order, give 10, save 20, live on the rest. Something memorable and portable. Give 10, save 20, live on the rest. And then Andy, in his talk, he also talked about give, save, live. Give, save, live. And about what it meant to be a good steward and a generous giver. And then he gave uh, what he called just this 3P approach. And it, it is a framework. And it became really a framework for my wife and I. The, the first P is priority. That if we really believe that there's life after this life, and we want to be someone who's stewarding what we have well, and that pleases the one who entrusted it to us, well, then that means making generosity and giving a priority. But as you well know, most people, they live, then maybe they save. Though in 2019, uh, studies showed that 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. 
uh, most people don't save. A huge percentage live on 102% of their income. Uh, but if there happens to be any left over, then maybe they save. And then, if there is anything left after that, living and saving, then maybe they would give. But priority giving means I'm flipping the script. It means I'm going to give, then I'm going to save, and then I'm going to live. And this was so helpful for me and my wife. I, I, we've been married for 32 years. Early in our marriage, uh, we would get in disagreements over money and generosity. Uh, Shauna wanted to be more generous and to save because she was, was always the smarter one, uh, to be embarrassingly honest uh, because I hated being and feeling broke. I was still dealing with some of that tension of the life I kind of desired, but I knew potentially I couldn't have, and I got tired of ramen noodles. Honestly, I was just greedy, plain and simple. And I would, I would argue, we would get, get in these discussions, and I would argue, I'm giving my whole life to God, and I'm giving my life to service of the church. You know, I'm giving so much, you know, than finances. And I say that out loud, I'm just embarrassed as it came out of my mouth. But over time, you know, God and my wife, who I respected, and other people that I respected, began working and shaping my heart. And within a few years, I embraced uh, that my excuses and justifications were just that, excuses and justifications. And over time, giving simply became a priority and part of how we did things. And as I mentioned earlier, we, what we experienced was the more generous we were, the more it seemed that God entrusted to us, and it became fun. Uh, for example, a few years ago, uh, our church took on a challenging financial goal to lead the way, and Sean and I both decided both to not give a percentage, but give a full month's salary. And like most, we had a mortgage, we had kids at home, we had bills, uh, but we believed that this is what God wanted us to do. And that took place in December, and then three months later, I was doing the books and doing our taxes, and uh, to my amazement, rather than being set back what we gave, we were actually ahead $7,000. And I couldn't believe it. And it was like all this, we got some random letter from the IRS with a check, like, the IRS ever do this? We got some random letter saying, oh, you overpaid your taxes like seven years ago. Here's a check for $900. Or I got an email from the state of Illinois saying, hey, there's money here in the state that belongs to you. Send in this letter. Here's a check. It was, it was just all this super weird random stuff. And as I put it all together, I just laughed. I just laughed because once again, the joke was on us because when we made the decision to give, like it was a stressful decision. And I just pictured God going, ha ha. Just wait. Just wait. You've been faithful with a little. I'm going to entrust you with more. And, and the other thing that came out of this back-to-back -back message of Andy and Dave was a drastic change to our lifestyle. Because like most Americans, uh, up to that time, we lived with pretty much zero margin. I mean, yeah, we gave, but we had a level of lifestyle that had us living check to check uh, with zero margin. And so when we moved, from Kans, uh, moved to Kansas in 2010, we had a huge garage sale. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that we sold two-thirds of our belongings. And uh, it, I had a super nice new Honda that, to use Jesus' term, I kind of loved. But it was a thing that was preventing better things and a better lifestyle with breathing room. So I sold it. And I purchased a 1991 Mazda Protégé 5-speed for $1,500 cash. And that's what I drove for five years. And I called it my Dave Ramsey car with a little spit. Uh, we also purchased a home here that was one-third the size of the home that we lived in in Chicago. And so all these and other lifestyle changes that we made, it just gave us this needed and wonderful 
and just incredible, life-giving, breathing room financially. And beyond just priority giving to the church, which we love doing, it opened the door for us to be generous in other ways, ranging from our compassion child in Togo, Africa, uh, or giving uh, to when other churches have been doing something, or other organizations that are doing good work, or just crossing paths with someone or a young couple where money is super tight, and being able to bless them financially, or a young couple with a night out or a staycation or something. And this approach, give, save, live, give, save, live, just making giving a priority, it's just been so helpful because it's helped us prioritize who we want to be. Now listen, I've been talking a lot about us and myself, okay? The only reason, don't hear me bragging because I'm not bragging. I'm just trying to make sure you understand I smoke what I sell, okay? That we, uh, we have been on this journey. I still feel so inadequate in the area of generosity. I still know there's room for growth. I still battle this internal tendency towards greed. I'm just saying this has been our approach to money that has been so helpful. And that's what I want for all of you, to be able to experience that and that freedom. We still have a long way to go. And I understand for some of you, your income isn't predictable. And so this is a little more difficult to do for some people than others. But I would encourage you, whatever you can do to make giving a priority for your sake, you've got to figure it out how to do that because Jesus the one we follow, laid everything down for us. And then he invites us to follow him and to lay down also our life and our stuff in such a way that it makes a difference now and in the next life. So priority. The second P, which I'm not spending as much time on, is percentage. And this is just so, such a helpful approach because for most of you, as you get older and you keep working, uh, most often your income grows with you. And what do you end up doing? Well, most people, basically, their spending just keeps up with their increase in income. 60% of Americans are spending all or more of their income. A significant percentage spend just below what they make. So for most Americans, there's just little to no margin between what they spend and how much money they make. And the amazing thing is, though it seems counterintuitive, becoming a percentage giver helps change all that. Deciding hey, I'm going to, or we're going to lock in a percentage, and then as our income grows over time, we're going to try and lock in the standard of living. We're going to lock in how much we spend so that as our income grows, the percentage that we give, the dollar amount that we give, that gets to grow. And again, this hardly ever happens because in America, statistically, the richer you get in our country, the less percentage you actually give. That's just a statistical fact. And it sounds a little crazy. In fact, some of you have thought you looked at somebody else and you thought, if I ever had that much money, if I ever made that much money, I would give so much away, I would be so generous, but reality shows the more money a person makes, the less they give. In fact, most experience the same, if not more financial stress, because again, their spending just keeps track with their level of income. And the beauty of give, save, live, and priority percentage giving is that those with a plan are nearly two times as likely to spend less than what they earn and save the difference than those without a plan. So that's where it is such a benefit. And if we're a Jesus follower, we should be people that are serious about locking in our standard of living and not just going with the flow and increasing as our income increases, not just so we can save more, but so that we can grow in our giving. So I just encourage you at the very least, figure out not a dollar amount, but just figure out as an individual or a family, what percentage are we going to give? And then give it. And then lastly, this is one of the most challenging, but 
as Jesus followers, we should also become progressive givers. In the New Testament, Jesus and Paul and John and others, when they talk about growth, one of the primary illustrations they use is fruit, fruit, producing fruit. And as most of you know, as a healthy fruit tree grows with each passing year, what does it do? It produces a little more fruit than the year before. And Jesus would say, for my followers, your growth should be like how a fruit tree grows, and which gets bigger over time. And we should be maturing and growing and more generous, better people, better people that more reflect the God that we serve. So as people that we look to become progressive givers in generosity over the time. And that's why you never hear me talk about tithing. Uh, tithing is something that's introduced into the Old Testament. Tithe just literally means one-tenth of something. And in the Old Testament, it was giving the one-tenth, uh, one-tenth of one's annual produce or earnings. And this was the baseline between God and the Jewish people to help provide for the temple and the priest. And we don't talk about the tithe primarily because Jesus raised the bar. Another reason is because for some of you, 10% is too low. Because with the amount of money that you make, honestly, 10% is a joke. So that's why we don't talk about the tithe or define the percentage for you. For others of you, 10% may feel intimidating or scary. I mean, especially if you've never given and you've got a bunch of debt and you're just upside down and you can't figure out how to get things under control and maybe you just start at 2% and start to grow it from there. Maybe next year you try to go to 3% and then in 2023 you go to 4%. And then during that time you begin to reprioritize your life around give, save, live and you begin to increase the financial margin in the breathing room in your life. And as that happens, the amount you give can also grow. And this is what Jesus would describe as being shrewd stewards, to pay attention to how we're spending and managing our money so that we can live with breathing room and live at peace financially and be generous givers. Because if there really is life after this life, if you really believe that there is an eternity, this is the way that Jesus calls us to live. God doesn't just want your money. He wants your heart. He wants you to share. He wants you to steward your money in a way that makes the biggest difference in the lives of people now and in the next life. So I hope, I hope you'll take your next step. Now, you're thinking, what is your next step? I don't know. I, I can't tell you. Every one of you is in a different place financially and in your careers. I, I don't know what it is, but I suspect you do. I mean, it could be very simple. Some of you, you're just in a place financially that you can begin to priority percentage give. You can just do it. For some of you, God's given you a generous level of wisdom and opportunities and so blessed you and given you so much margin and breathing room, it's time for you to up your percentage, like this month. For others of you, you need help. You need help to get to a healthy place financially. For Shauna and I, it was reading cover to cover after his, his message, we read cover to cover and applied the book Total Money Makeover. And just so you know, on social media and stuff, I know Dave Ramsey gets some hate and everything, and that's fine. Uh, you know, everybody's going to criticize everybody, but at least for us, I'm just telling you, it changed our life. And then we went through what's called Financial Peace Workshop, and again, it was hugely helpful. For some of you, you might be thinking, I've just got so much financial baggage and so many challenges financially, I'm just not able to do this. Well, you don't have to figure this out alone. 
like we'll connect with you. We will connect you with some great resources and connections to help, uh, to help provide mentoring and to help you learn how to move towards being financially free. And if you're inter- interested in doing that, I mean, you, you can reach out to me. You can just email, email me, simple chat at newlifewichita.com or message me directly. I'd love to help, but one way or another, please take your next step. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that we have the teachings that we do have. I pray for every single one of us because, God, all of us, we have these battles. And as I, I say all the time, Jesus promised when he left that he would send a helper, that he would send his spirit. And I pray for every one of us, God, that your spirit would help us to break free from the grip of greed and stress and anxiety that's connected to money. And I pray, Father, you really would give us eyes to see. I pray, God, that our city would be impacted and the lives of people in our city would be impacted because we truly would become irrationally generous people, that we would prove that we can be trusted with more. But, Father, we're going to need your help. We need one another. We need support and encouragement and accountability. But, God, we're going to need you to accomplish this. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to see everything is yours and that we would be shrewd as we can be as we just unlock the generosity in our own life that would set us free. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.